Okay, so Mr. West. That is me. Mr. West, should you choose to accept it, I have a challenge for you to take place during this episode. What? Now, for in a little episode challenge. Yep, an in episode challenge. You can say no. Feel free to sure, say no. Sure. In this episode, I thought it would be particularly cool if we set up a server for Starbound. Now, I've linked instructions. It appears to be a pretty straightforward process to install on an Ubuntu server. The only tricky thing is, and this might be the hard part, is it requires a Steam login to download the binary on an account that's already purchased it. Now, I could provide my credentials. Uh-huh. Because I've bought... Oh, but I didn't buy it on Steam. I got it on GOG. Hmm. This is like... How much does it cost on Steam? It's like 15 bucks. This is... This is Minecraft, but way cooler. It's space travel. You go to a planet. There's multiplayer co-op. You collect resources. You build tunnels. That sounds awesome. Caves. And we could set up a Jupiter Broadcasting server on the jupiterbroadcasting.org domain. And we could all play. I that mean, would be awesome. This is a time sucker that makes Minecraft look like child's play. And it just came out for Linux Starbound. It was actually a Kickstarter for a while. So I don't know. Maybe oh, that's where it sounds familiar from. I yeah. I saw it on Kickstarter. So take a look at the link and let me know if you want to take the challenge. We'll find out at the other end of the intro. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 155 for June 26, 2016. Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's making sure to drink all of its water and still leave room for beer. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hey there, Wes. Hey, Chris. Boy, these look like some great brews you brought in on the show today. With a fun name. Oh, yeah. Oh, how, the Narrows Brewing? That's not it. That's not the fun part. What's no. the fun part? The fun part is it's the Galloping Gertie Golden Ale. <laughs> that is great. That's not what we're here to talk about, though. Coming up on this week's episode of the Unplugged program, we're going to go a little bit down um, uh, history lane. Talk a little bit uh, with uh, Mr. Wimpy about his uh, travels to the Snappy Sprint event. Later on in the show, we're going to talk about a very important open source project getting audited and ask the Mumble Room if you could audit any open source using a set amount of money. We saw there's certain limitations. Which projects would you audit to see how secure they really are? We'll ask them when we get to there. Ooh, I'm curious. Got some really interesting new code open source this week from a company you probably wouldn't think is open sourcing code. OpenBSD says they're even more secure than ever now because they're getting rid of Linux compatibility, a.k.a. the Linux vulnerability, as they say. Yeah, we'll talk about that coming up in the show. A friend of the uh, podcast here has got a new release. We'll talk about that. And last but not least, at some point, we're going to find out if Wes can complete the Starbound Challenge. Now, he's already begun, ladies and gentlemen. So, Wes, you have accepted the challenge. Challenge accepted. <laughs> I think it's going to be great. Now, I haven't played the game a lot because I, as soon as I saw the multiplayer, thing, I was like, well, how do you do this? And there's just not a lot of servers out there yet. So we'll see if it's possible. Wes is working right away over there on his Spotnik laptop. You know it. With a nice unplug sticker, too. Yeah, I like that. It's looking really good, flashy. Wes. That's looking really good. All right, well, uh, let's bring in our virtual lug so we can get into the stories. Time appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Hey, hey, hey. Hello. Hi there. Well, it's good to see you. It is good to see you. So I, I have I have like some good news I want to start with because it's good news from the least likely source. And it happens to be right on the heels of us talking about this last week, which is always a lot of fun. West spotted this particular story. It's called Surround 360. It's a project by Facebook. 
to make software pipeline, an entire rendering pipeline, to do VR360 images. And uh, also, they have in here, they have the code up on GitHub, but also in here, they have some really cool specs. It looks really cool. And a super cool video of the camera that you need to do this with. Um, And that is all uh, very fine, and you can watch the video. It's got a great soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Super inspirational. And they're building the camera, and they're putting it all together. And it does look really cool. It's like a dome with a whole bunch of uh, image sensors on there. Their stitching software takes the images captured by 17 cameras in the Surround 360 and transforms them into a stereoscopic 360 panorama suitable for viewing in VR. The software vastly reduces the typical 3D 3D 360-degree processing time while maintaining 8K per eye quality, which they think is optimal for VR. They say the rendering stereo 360 video is a hard problem for a variety of reasons. It takes a ton of RAM, roughly 120 gigabytes of data per minute of video. So that's even double when you go to 60 frames per second. There's little room for error. Because any inconsistencies in the stitching really look bad and stand out. In order to create VR video practically, we need to be able to process all this data as fast as possible, which is often in exact opposition to maximum quality. Yeah, so right. this thing, this software, it is, it's really amazing. They talk about uh, the Equitangular. I don't even know how you say this. Equitire, equi- I can't even say Equatorial? It. Equatorial triangular? Equatorial triangular. Basically, you know, the Earth turns out as a globe, and uh, it's that when you start, they have a diet, they have a diet. I can't even bother to get into it because I would just fail horribly. I'm already beginning to. But that's not the important part. What's the important part is, yeah, they can figure all that, uh, you know, spatial stuff out for the camera. But check out some of the interesting details. The cameras output raw pattern images. Right onto like a Linux box. Then the image signal processor, which is part of the Surround 360 rendering code, converts the raw sensor data into a standard RGB PNG image. Oh, cool. It applies gamma and color correction. Then the rendering system reads the camera images and builds the projections from each. The projections cover a whole sphere with a rectangular structure and texture. Each camera captures only a portion of the full sphere, but this can then be represented on the projection they put it all together. Equirectangular. Equi- how- rectangular. Okay, thank you. I don't know why I can't. I, I can't. That's I just simply can't. One. But uh, I like this. And also, remember we just recently talked about how uh, GStreamer is building in stuff yes. to support. So the timing on this is rather perfect because GStreamer just put in a whole bunch of infrastructure stuff and is beginning to work on more. And then Facebook comes along and specs out the camera and releases a whole rendering pipeline. Yeah, exactly. Good guy Facebook. I don't get Aww. to say that very often. I don't really. Um, we were getting into a pre-show topic. Uh, I can't even remember exactly what it was that Wimpy said that made me think of it. But it essentially came down to my time is very valuable, and I have to be selective about how I spend it. Oh, that's what it was. It was about setting up more service. Yeah, sync thing. Yeah, we'll put that in the, in the post-show, hopefully. Um, <clears throat> boy, that – boy, have I, if I said that maybe a million times, how many times? I can't even think. Even in this show, I've said that. And that's that's why Joshua Drake's post over at Command Prompt Inc.'s blog really made me think. Now, he's part of the PostgreSQL community, and he's, talking, he's writing a post that he titled The Fall of Open Source. Uh, once upon a time, he says, FOSS was born, about, was born and it was about freedom. It was about exposing quality within source code. It allowed everyone equal rights and equal access to, to the technology they were using. The idea was if you were capable, you could fix code you could, or you could pay someone to fix it, an ideology that there was something greater than yourself 
and that there were an inherent right to build what was human. I sat in a bar, slowly nursing beers with other community members over a period of hours. We spoke of many things. We spoke of never, ever doing uh, a new post-sequel website. Uh. We spoke of my disdain for Amazon Web Services uh, since reformed, with the exception of S3. We spoke of life. We argued. We had honest discourse, and that's excellent. There was nobody complaining of political correctness. There was nobody claiming to be offended. There was nobody leaving because feelings were hurt. There was a community member who passed out in his chair and dropped his phone. We walked him back to his room to make sure he was safe, and all was good. This retrospective has been digging around in my gray matter since that night six months ago. That is until I began to itch. And, like any good community member, I think I'm going to be scratching that itch. And that itch was, my time is precious to me. It seems like a harmless thing to say. Of course your time is precious to you. I would say that's probably true of most people. I know that my time is precious to me. I make a point of working part-time from May to September so I can take time for my family. The problem within the statement is context. The statement came from a well-known contributor and a very smart guy. The, guy, the reference was in relation to why someone would use software as a service. And the general idea was software as a service is awesome because it allows me to have more time for me. Then he says the great compromise. A lot of companies have come up through the ranks to become dominant players in the open source industry. Meetup.com for user groups, GitHub for development, Heroku for software as a service, and Slack for communications. When, When considered independently, there's nothing wrong with these services. They offer great value, they increase productivity, and more code gets developed. The problem is that not one single of these services are open. The use of these services creates an intrinsic advocate position for closed-source software. In turn, you, see, you will see the use of these services increase, whilst the use of open-source alternatives decreases. Consider Slack, which widely is considered the hot new collaboration tool, yet it doesn't adhere to open standards. Its network is closed, as is its software. And he goes to argue the worst part is, is that we had Jabber, which is open-source, has a similar environment as Slack, supports voice, video, uh, plugins, external protocols, bridges, image embedding, video sharing, file sharing, and yes, chat. It also supports federation and allows communities to communicate between each other using XMPP. He says the Postgres community hosts their own code repositories, websites, and mailing lists. We collaborate in a true version and vision of open source and actively reject moving our project to an externally hosted facilities controlled by services which are not open source. The community puts forth the effort for the community. The moment that open source becomes primarily about my time is the moment that open source is no longer a movement. It's no longer an ideology. It's no longer about fairness, freedom, equality, rights, or the greater good. Damn. Wow. Uh, Nemo, I'll let you jump in first. I see you tagging me. And then uh, I'll let Wimpy jump in there. Go ahead, Nemo. Right. I mean, okay, so what I say is the value of open source is not you know your time is no longer wasted mm-hmm. by or you can no longer trade money for time it's that um no one has a monopoly on support so if uh if someone else can't support it you can and which then you're definitely using your time as valuable to you yeah that's definitely a value of open source i completely agree good point um wimpy uh you think maybe this is a little clickbait your thoughts sir um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, there's there's a point there, but all of the projects that he cites, so Slack and GitHub, for example, there are open source alternatives 
to those. Mattermost um, and Rocket Chat for Slack, for example. Yeah, and GitLab uh, instead Gitorious. of GitHub. Yeah. And, well, Gitorious has sadly died. Oh, yeah, um, right. Gone into bit rot. But, yeah, I mean, the code there somewhere if somebody wants to resurrect it which of course is what open source is great for right um and uh you know mattermost and gitlab integrate uh very nicely now so it is convenient you know we were just talking about this earlier on the show you know having to do more of the thing you do as your job in your spare time is not very appealing so i'm reluctant to do server stuff in my spare time because what i do all day um but yeah, to say point. that to say that these closed services are the death knell for open source, I think, is a little bit off the mark because the development platform, the development infrastructure, is all open source. So all of the tools and platforms that are used to deliver those proprietary services are all open source. So consequently, while you have the likes of Slack and GitHub creating their proprietary software they're also inevitably going to be contributing back to a number of open source projects along the way. And if you are, you know, very much of the mindset that you don't want to run proprietary services and one of the alternative, you know, one of the alternatives like Mattermost or GitLab is out there and not quite doing it for you, then you can contribute to those projects. Mm. So I felt I felt the title was a bit clickbaity, and I also felt that the prose was a bit sort of flowery and meandery. In that article, <laughs> could have got to the point. Could have got to the point in about four sentences <laughs> yeah. rather than four pages. Yeah, I I do see what you're saying, and I think well, it's, once you've started, it's just so hard to stop. I think. Well, I think what it part partially it is, um, it is a failure to recognize a division like so for myself there are moments where i would opt to go with a hosted solution slack might be an example of that uh where and then there's other moments where i'll opt to host and roll on my own like we were just having a sync thing conversation a little bit ago yeah and those are just different priorities and and sometimes it's there's it's for it's for ideology and sometimes it's simply for practical reasons and i i feel like we sometimes in this conversation forget that there is room for both. There is actually – we can have both sets of users and it doesn't mean one thing is dying or one group is defeating the other group. Both sets of groups exist and coexist and use the software for different reasons. And that's what yeah. I, that's how I look at it. But proprietary so software is unethical. <laughs> well, there's that. Uh, well, then you can but choose it, to be in the other camp. But that proprietary software can also spin off open source software. So, for example, mm. I was looking for a tool like Slack for the Ubuntu Mate team. And in the end, we went with HipChat because I don't have to host it myself. You know, there's uh, we use Bitbucket for pretty much all of our source control. So there's okay. a lot of good overlaps there. Now, as it happens, I've ended up taking some existing open source co code and improving it because I've created some IRC bridges from IRC channels into HipChat rooms Ooh, so neat. that we can see what goes on in IRC within HipChat. So consequently... I've taken something old and busted and made it work and that's now some open source that's out there that wouldn't have been had i not been using you know hip chat admittedly yeah. it supports hip chat so it ties into their apis but open apis are better than closed apis yeah and you could make the same argument for a lot of services there uh that's interesting so i uh, wouldn't be just totally side sidebar did you try out mattermost and rocket chat and just i thought or was it just sort of the i don't really want to spin up another server was that the barrier um it's 
I'm perfectly capable of running the server infrastructure. Sure. But my time is limited in what I do in my spare time on open source projects. Right. And I would rather that that time was focused on Man. development and pushing well the project forward yeah. right. rather than adding servers. Yeah, and that's yeah. why it's not the death of open source right there. That's just such a good point. Uh, and, you know, why don't we take a moment, and uh, I want to thank DigitalOcean, because when it comes to spinning up systems in record time, nobody beats DigitalOcean. Within 55 seconds, you can have a rig deployed, and you can be ready to go. And if you're, if you're going to work with something like Docker, because there's so many things that are Dockerized now, containerized, I guess, uh, they have such a nice stack. They have an, a good, they have an Ubuntu LTS with the, Docker, with the Docker software installed, with the repos added, and you can, you know, there's also one with Nginx. For me... I, and I think I've told you guys the story, but for me, I was working on evaluating Rocket Chat and Mattermost and evaluating how they stood up to different, uh, to like, you know, different testing. Like, how do I use it from the mobile? How do I use it with the IRC the bridge? Experience. All yeah, the things it, people are going to ask once you make them use it. Exactly. And you know what? It's funny. We, uh, we almost went with one system I put in production at one point. And the thing that I, the thing that was really nice to know was that I could revert back to a core system and reset it up within seconds to make sure it was done right. I didn't have to put together some sort of hacked solution. Ultimately, Sean set up a Mattermost server for us on DigitalOcean that's available right now to patrons. And uh, that has been running really great. It's a really good system. It's super straightforward to set up. And uh, so far, it's scaled brilliantly. So if you use our promo code over DigitalOcean, you'll get a $10 credit. The promo code is SNAPOcean. It's one word, lowercase. You put that in in your account control panel, it'll apply $10 to your account. Yeah. Their pricing is really, really straightforward, and the value is crazy high. So that $10 will get you quite a ways. And they got data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany. And India, they have a really nice interface that backs it all up. So if you have really no experience or if you're an expert, you're going to actually be pretty satisfied. Also, their API is really nice to work with. We integrate it in with our workflow. A lot of people do. There's some good open source code already written, like an applet where you can add it right to your menu bar and get the status of your droplets. I love that. Lots of nice mobile apps, too, that make rebooting, like, on the go, nice yeah. and easy and straightforward. Your clients calling, ah, oh, the thing's yeah. down, boom. Reboot. Actually, I've just used it, too. Like, my Quasal server uh, locked up on me one time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and I just opened it up on my Android app and just boop, reboot the droplet. It's also nice if you're like, well, is it a problem on my end or is it yes. a problem on the server? Okay, no, yeah. the server's fine. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing that's really cool and gives you... A lot of power, if you know how to use it, um, is their HTML5 console that watches it I from post to login. Yeah. It's, it's how you get certain, real, certain things done that are really cool and advanced at DigitalOcean. And I just think it's a great service. Use the promo code SNAPOcean. They let you do it. That's, it's not like an advanced feature no. you have to innate. It's right no. there. And it's, it's just part of the service. Part of it is they're just really, really, really smart about when they implement a feature, they do it right. And they just what they focus on, like they're just rolling out right now block storage. You can get up to 16 terabytes of SSD storage. They do SSDs for everything. And uh, man, when you know, and then when they roll it out, they roll it out with just really good documentation. Check out their community section. Look at their. They have speaking of Postgres, uh, they have an article on setting up Postgres. Here's nice. Docker Composer or Docker Compose, yeah. I guess. I've just been playing with Docker, so it's fun that you can just deploy it so easily. To look at this: how to protect your server against the HTTP proxy vulnerability. Boom! Right there, man. That's good timing. Check it out, DigitalOcean.com. Just use the promo code SNAPOcean and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Unplugged program, SNAPOcean. Gets you that $10 credit. 
Arch Strike has an ISO app. That's all I really had to say on this. Just, you know, we've talked to these guys back when they were Arch Assault. <laughs> they sent me a shirt, which is pretty cool. And uh, <laughs> for those not familiar, Arch Strike was Arch Assault. It's still based on Arch Linux, which is totally as uh, Maris says here, renowned and lightweight and highly <laughs> customizable distribution. However, the goal of the project is to be a security layer on top of Arch. It has 1,200 security-oriented tools for ethical hackers and security researchers. But the thing that's newsworthy here is they've actually released their first ISO. It's available for download today. It's 64-bit and 32-bits, and it's the first of its kind. So congratulations to the Arch Strike team for getting your first ISO out the door. Wes, you you knew this was probably going to get me riled up when you linked this one in our chat thread earlier today. I oh, do like to rile you up, Chris. Oh, man, that Theo. OpenBSD 6.0 tightens its security. By losing Linux, <laughs> that's that's the pitch. Uh, most significantly amongst the latest security-related changes for OpenBSD is the removal of the Linux emulation support. Prior versions of OpenBSD made it possible to run Linux applications via a compatibility layer. But the release notes that OpenBSD 6.0 indicates the Linux subsystem was removed as a security improvement. As a security if I recall from uh, our friends over at BSD now, I think it wasn't much used and hadn't been actively maintained very yeah, well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it makes yeah. sense for them to cut it. But uh, the, 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 you don't have to do all the uh, poking, though. They're, they've been making some fun on Twitter. Yeah, right. OpenBSD also has ditched the SysTrace system policy enforcement tool for the second security and the removal of the user mount option, <laughs> which, if enabled, allowed non-privileged users to mount file systems. Ugh. It's yet another security enhancement. OpenBSD project lead Theo Durat stated that the user mount option allows any non-privileged program to call the mount and unmount system calls meaning there is no way any user can be expected to keep their system safe or reliable with this feature. No user mount for you! My theory is that since Windows started doing Linux emulation, OpenBSD was like, no, we can't. We can't be in the same camp as this, and they're out. That's a good theory. That's actually pretty solid. I like that a lot. <laughs> All right. I, I, don't, I don't really have a lot to say about this, but I did actually feel like it was a little tiny, teensy bit antagonizing with the harassing on Twitter and and then they and then they tweeted out and said the uh, distros what they say operating systems that now have the linux vulnerability and they listed freebsd linux and windows or something like that yikes yeah like, i just made my computer more secure you know how how i removed wine yeah yeah <laughs> it's kind of like that yeah <laughs> uh, not quite though cuz it's something that's required by the kernel as opposed to wine sure, yeah. in user space yeah. under your true, own user true. account so but is it re-implemented in user space it, you know how bsd loves re-implementing things in user space right is it though but is it not installed by default is it installed by default on openbsd and why the hell would that be i don't know if that's true because it's not installed by default under freebsd so i mean i don't understand how those bs you know what i gotta watch the bsd now program because they'd probably set me straight i'm sure they, like sounds like they've already been covering the story for a little bit they've you know they see that stuff coming. they sure do but i it did feel a little like ha ha we got you we got you there's been a lot of interesting security news today there's a security vulnerability that supposedly bypasses uh, https on mac windows and linux did yeah. you see that mm-hmm. yeah so security is you know makes Makes me glad that TechSnap exists. Makes me glad that uh, I've got my Linux Mint updates installed. That oh, way yeah. I know I'm secure. There you go. Off topic, does Alan allow you to set up? Oh, no, no, I don't think he does. He should offer that as a hosted streaming solution. So uh, something happened. And I, I feel like I should probably mention it on this show because it's relevant to the audience's interest. You guys want to know. Uh, I, six months after it happened, I finally, I have finally gotten off my butt. I finally have spent hours putting together a new episode of the Rover Log of what? my trip to scale. Yes. 
Yeah, uh, and you can see some highlights of uh, Mark Shuttleworth's keynote where he's talked about he, – this was back in January where he was talking about snap packages. And uh, also Cory Doctorow's uh, keynote kind of made me uh-huh. rethink my stance on DRM. And uh, I talk about that. So that's Roverlog 16 just came out. And, you know, I was, I was watching this. That, man, that's, that scale thing is a huge – looking back at our, my clips from that is a huge event. It is, it is a monster. Great. Wimpy, are you, are you by any chance going to make it to scale next year? Uh, I don't know. Here's hoping. Yeah, yeah. I would love to. I'm, I haven't made it by mind, but I think I'm going to go. Anyways, oh, yeah. if, you, if you guys want to see just, just a, a little taste of it, you can check out Roverlog 16, which went up recently. And Roverlog 17 is already posted for our patrons at patreon.com slash today, which is the one where I drove into the tornado, which was a lot of fun. So, what? Yeah, so we'd be willing. I, I would check that one out. Yes. So speaking of snap packages, <clears throat> Mr. Wimpy is here. And uh, he was not here last week. No, 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 he was not because he was at a sprint event uh, held by Canonical to bring people together to talk about Snap packages. So why don't we – let's tell you what. Let's open up the next block. I'm going to mention real briefly here uh, Ting. Go to linux.ting.com to get the uh, discount for the Linux Unplugged show and support the show. Plus, you'll have Linux in uh, your uh, URL history. So that way, when somebody starts typing L into your browser, instead of your dirty porn habit showing up, Linux shows up. So linux.ting.com, go there to support this show. Ting is mobile that makes sense. It's my mobile service provider. has been for over two years because I just pay for what I use, and it's $6 for each line. My minutes, my messages, my megabytes, which means if I'm smart and I do stuff over Wi-Fi, like I pre-download my podcast and I listen to downloaded, and like my favorite Spotify playlist, cash those local suckers. Over Wi-Fi. I do extreme quality, too, which is – I'm like guilt-free extreme quality. Oh, it's nice. And then I just basically pay for the little bits of backup data that I use when I do go on the cellular network. They have two networks, two GSM and CDMA. You get to pick from what you want. All their devices are unlocked. They have really great fanatical customer service. They're backed by Two Cows, which is an internet company that's been around since before the dot-com boom. I mean, AKA forever. They're really in it for the long haul, which is super nice, especially when you want a mobile provider that's going to be around for a while when the deal's like this. They have a savings calculator you can try. Go over there and check them out. You know, I was just mentioning the rover log. That entire rover trip I did down to scale was off of Ting MiFi. It's really nice. And when, you're, and you're, when you are traveling, it's nice to jump around from GSM and CDMA. It's a little tricky because you end up having two numbers. And, but right. since it's only $6 for the line, it's not – it's. It's really, I mean, plus you get. I don't want to put a SIP number in front. Give that to everyone. Or what I do is I do Google Voice. Yeah, yeah but Same actually, thing. I would prefer I would prefer the SIP thing. I think these days. So check them out at linux.ting.com. Thanks, Ting. So uh, I wanted to go ahead and do the Ting spot right there, so we could just sort of open up because I have so many questions for Wimpy that I didn't want to have to interrupt him. Uh, so um, prepare yourself, Wimpy. I, I guess I want to start Prepared. with what what the hell is a sprint event and how come I didn't hear about this and were only certain like Linux elite invited to this thing? What is a snappy sprint and how did you find out about it and why didn't I hear about it? Uh, right. It was publicized. So it was publicized through the Ubuntu Insights and a couple of the Yeah, I think Softpedia picked it up, right? Yeah, Softpedia, a couple of others yeah. picked it up as well. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so I was aware of it from that, but then shortly afterwards, the um, Ubuntu community team contacted me and asked me if I would be interested in taking up a place uh, at the Sprint as a community contributor. I guess what I, um, what I was kind of getting at is I kind of had the sense that this thing came together pretty quick. 
Uh, you know, there was there was a brief announcement about it, but all of a sudden it's boom, let's do this. And it seems like they were pretty proactive about reaching out to certain people to make sure they they could make it. Yeah, I think I I think I heard about it about a month before it happened. Oh, okay, yeah. that's fair. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's probably best if you have questions you ask because obviously I was there. I went to a lot of stuff. My head is full of things to do with snaps. I could fire off in all directions. But well, it's probably best if you've got <clears throat> questions, you focus the uh, the conversation. I have uh, – in front of me, I have a Trello board uh, with the Snappy Sprint uh, topics on it. So I have plenty of things to get into with you. Uh, but if you don't mind – and you can only – you share as much as you feel like sharing. But it, it, probably 99 percent of the people listening have never been to something like this before. And so uh, – I mean, could you could you just kind of paint a picture? You had you flew somewhere. You had to, you know, there had to be like a, a ticket purchase. There was hotel space. I mean, what what is sort of the setting like and the experience like going to an event like this? Okay, so um, the very first thing that happened is I was asked if I wanted to attend. I uh, talked to my wife and daughter and said, "Can I take a week off work, not with you, and go to this thing?" Right, I didn't even thought <laughs> of that angle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they said, uh, "Yeah, all right then." Uh, so then I, uh, I let the community team know that, yes, I wanted to attend. And then I was contacted by Canonical's travel organizers, uh, and they basically sorted out flights and accommodations in the room. Uh, so I didn't have to, didn't have to pay for anything in that respect. So I had my ticket sent to me and a couple of days before the event, a full itinerary of, you know, what was going on, um, uh, you know everything you needed to know uh the one uh the one thing is that all of these events uh canonical have a policy of room sharing so uh i was sharing with popey hmm. Aww. <laughs> so yeah that was nice um uh so yeah flew out there on the sunday uh sunday morning i left the uk uh got to the event hotel mid-afternoon sunday uh the first evening that sunday evening there was a drinks reception in one of the rooms so oh, all of the people attending had drinks and snacks get together a chance to mingle a bit yeah yeah get to meet people um the first thing that struck me is i knew there was going to be about 60 to 70 people at this thing and i reckon about um, about 18 or so were from outside of canonical um so that was quite surprising mm. you know and they weren't just flavors they were you know from other distributions and projects completely outside of canonical so that first evening was nice and uh i got to um you know obviously over the course of the last couple of years working on ubuntu mate i've got to know a lot of the ubuntu devs through irc but i've never met them um and the only drawback of attending this event is you know as that as they do you favors and help you out, you idly say, you know, if we ever meet, I will buy you a beer. Yes. <laughs> well, I was buying, <laughs> ended up buying a lot of beer last week, <laughs> which is absolutely fine. Yeah, and yeah. I don't have a problem yeah. with. Well but, worth the cost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, my my investment in the trip was to make sure I I paid down my debt of beers to all of the people <laughs> I owed beers to. Good man, Wimpy. Um. Yeah, and so in terms of how the event works, so you're in a, it's a large hotel. Uh, I think there was five or six rooms in total. There was one very large room, which could accommodate everybody. Uh, and then uh, four or five smaller rooms, which could take between, take about 20 people or so in each room. This is legitimately a mini conference. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Um, 
every morning starts with an opening session that says what we're going to do this day. So you've got the Trello board there. They basically explain where the rooms are, what's going to happen. And throughout the day, there are three tracks running. And uh, each session runs for about 45 minutes to an hour. So it's very fast paced and it's sort of an introduction to a topic and some discussion around a topic and actions and proposals are taken at the end of each of those sessions. Um, there's a mid-morning break and Canonical provided drinks and refreshments and snacks mm. wow. on the mid-morning break and the mid-afternoon break and they provided lunch as well and breakfast. So, um, yeah, uh, they looked after everybody and... Um, then uh, mid-afternoon, there was the option to go into the larger room and participate in a, a two-hour hacking session. So if you'd learned something or taken an action or wanted to progress something, you had a couple of hours each day where you could collaborate and, you know, and work on that stuff. Was this one of the times Frank showed up and talked to people about Nextcloud and... Uh, Frank actually turned up sort of at the end of one oh, of okay. the days. So I just happened to see him sort of wandering around the hotel looking slightly lost. <laughs> and I just overheard somebody say, oh, no, Frank from own cloud should be uh, from next cloud should be turning up in a minute. And I bumped into him. So I said, I, I said, I, I, I introduced myself and then said, I know where you need to be. So I, I escorted him to the right room and introduced him to That's whoever great. he needed to talk to. Did he have a camera with him? Not that I noticed. He did have a bag over his shoulder. I imagine that could have held a camera. <laughs> uh, so a, a, a very interesting. So it sounds like a pretty pretty uh, high rated event in terms of a nice room, nice accommodations, some room sharing, but uh, drinks and all can't uh, can't be ignored. I look at the list here of Trello stuff, which is nice that it's public, and um, I'm not getting a, cent a central theme or a central sense of this was with a big focus towards Unity 8 and mobile or a big focus on cloud. I'm getting kind of a, a, a lot of different priorities here from individual Internet of Things type devices to full desktop applications. Did you walk away with a sense having attended that there was like a core theme? Um, there wasn't a core theme. Um because as you can see from the Trello, there were lots of different topics. You know, the the things that are marked in red, that's the community and cross-distro stuff. And that tended to have a desktop focus. So um, that was more desktop mm. focus. The KDE plan for a runtime, uh, exactly. Ubuntu desktop snap issues. Interesting. Okay. And, and GNOME uh, runtime was part of that session. And Arch Linux and the OpenSUSE OBS snap integration was in there as well. And in the yellow sessions, those were more specifically about the evolution of SnapD itself and SnapCraft. Um, so the sort of the fundamental tools, and there was a lot of interesting discussions there. Uh, and then there were some new tools um, announced. I don't know if these exist pre-existed, but there's a thing called SnapWeb now. So that is a... Um, uh, a web UI that talks to the um, Unix domain socket of SnapD and presents a complete UI of your Snap oh, environment so that you can very install Snap, access the store, see featured apps, and it even does clever stuff like if this is on a device, um, it will show you the components that are specific to that device so uh, <laughs> there was um, some examples of um, uh, router switches and stuff like that that uh, look very interesting 
Wow. So that uh, there was a few things that did come out that surprised me. You touched on it there just for a moment. You said gnome runtime. Uh, I thought that was a flat yeah. pack. Th- I thought that was a flat pack thing. So the the thing about so runtime, I think, is the 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 flat pack terminology. I think the terminology that's going to come out of snaps is these will be called platform snaps. But you asked if there was sort of um, a general theme. No, but one of the key concepts that cropped up all the way through the week is um, what they called content sharing or the content interface. So that's a new feature, and that is the mechanism by which um, shared runtimes or platforms or things like artwork snaps can be created so that if you are creating um, application snaps for the GNOME desktop, you can now use the GNOME 320 platform snap as a dependency and through bind mounting in the way that snaps, you know, integrate, that will be a common platform available to all of the things that require it. So from an end user implementation, would I have a GNOME 320 runtime mounted file system, SquashFS file system, and whatever the application SquashFS file system mounted at the same time? Two different mounts for one application? It would appear as one, but underneath the hood, yes, it'd be two. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Interesting. So it it handles the magic behind the scenes. And also things like taking the artwork out, so taking the themes and the icon sets out of the applications and, and even out of the platform snaps and making those separately available. And then there are mechanisms to then create um, trust relationships between those snaps. Hmm. So if they need to move in lockstep, you can uh, use assertions to actually say these things have to move at the same versions Ooh, if that's if that's I the requirement. That being very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, not just in desktop, but also in server deployments. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, it, it was it was a particular the, the particular conversation around uh, is called gating in Snapspeak, but that that was particularly uh, for um, devices where you may have a kernel component and an application component that requires another and, and the interaction between those three, and to make sure you can't accidentally have a snap upgrade in that chain that is not compatible. <laughs> I hadn't really thought of that particular problem. That's that is interesting. So, did you get a sense of uh, what is the application that can't be snapped? Is it or or what is the piece of software delivered for Linux? And like, I'm thinking of things like NVIDIA drivers or uh, oh yeah, what are the limits? What where where do snaps stop? And you have to use something else. Well, there's there's two sides to this. So there is the classic system that can install snaps for example, and you obviously have some host um, requirements and the host can be a combination of the classic system and the core snap. And then you have a fully snapped environment where the whole device is a series of snaps that build the complete environment. So you only have snaps. Um, I don't think that anything was discussed that was an outright it can't be done there are things that can't be done now but but all of those well, all of the things that were discussed were this is the plan and we will 
you know, cross that bridge when we get to it sort of thing. So there's, there's some more complex interactions to consider when like full desktop environments are snapped in their entirety and how things like display managers and session managers and setting demons interact with one another, Yeah, you know, so that's a little ways out, but, um, in general, I didn't. What I didn't about get what the about impression. something though that requires like a kernel module at boot? You know, like a like a ZFS snap or an NVIDIA driver snap or a VMware snap that has a you know the VMDK kernel module. Yeah, so on on devices at the moment, you can have kernel snaps and gadget snaps. So I think that you know in that fully snapped wow. device huh. platform, that's huh. that's a possibility. That's that's something that's been you know solved. So I want to. I, I just want to throw, just as an example, uh, a question at you that might illustrate maybe the variety of people in attendance. Uh, I see a card here for uh, integrating Snap support into the OpenSUSE build service. Is that actually going to happen, or was it just theoretical code that is never going to be integrated upstream to the build service? No, it was demonstrated. It's there already. Whoa! And in fact, that work the the. One of the screenshots I saw was a build log from three weeks previous. So they'd actually done some work prior to turning up. Wow. Okay. All right. So then the other thing that seems to be perhaps an olive branch to the Fedora camp is I see entries in here for getting SE Linux confinement. Now, just to recap for the audience, one of the ideals behind Snap packages is that they are confined to their own space and that they're not only they're a little safer for the end user, but maybe isolated from security vulnerabilities a bit more. Uh, and that confinement is currently, I guess you would say, created or done by AppArmor. I don't know exactly what the, what the term is, yeah. but AppArmor is used to create that confined environment, which is not really the paradigm that Fedora uses. Red Hat is really behind SE Linux, and so is Fedora. And SE Linux is also capable of de- delivering confinement like that, but I, I, I you know, it's it's not it was I don't think Snap was created with that intention. So how 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 likely is that? Do you think that maybe they could get SE Linux support? And did you get a sense from people that were there from Fedora that this is something the project might actually adopt? I got the strong impression that SE Linux support is coming, and there was some discussion around how uh, that can be implemented. And one of the lead developers from Canonical had done the initial discovery work and was confident that it could be implemented. And I don't know what the schedule for that will be, but it was definitely considered doable and something that will be done at some point. Hmm. The the, uh, the speed at which the snap package, uh, I don't even know, you can't even call it one thing, but the, the, the whole ecosystem, snap ecosystem is evolving Seems to be really fast, um, yeah, faster than App Image and Flatpak, and it already seems to be more feature complete. Especially when you take in some of the additional stuff that's coming out. Wimpy, when you when you arrived there, was there anything that changed your in your mindset uh, after you left? For example, is there going to be perhaps a shift in how Ubuntu Mate implements snaps? Is it going to be a, a maybe a greater snap investment? Is it going to be still only certain applications? Like, is anything in that regard changing? So um, when I went out there, I'd got like three or four things that I wanted to understand so that I could better, you know, think about how Ubuntu Mate could benefit. All of those questions were answered on day one. Hmm. So I was thinking, well, this is a good start because everything I came here for has now been, you know, I know what the, the road ahead is. So I've now got four more days to find out all this other stuff. So to give you an idea, one of the things I want to do is integrate um, Snap 
support into the software boutique. And I wrote a um, prototype um, Python client that enables you to install and remove packages um, using, you know, the SnapD API. But whilst I was there, I was talking to um, Robert Ansel, one of the Ubuntu developers, and he's talking about actually making a libsnapdc library and then exposing that via Gobject and Qt object so that all of the other projects can wrap it and use it. So, you know, things like that are just terrific because that's a way that anyone can then exploit the facilities of the Snap API within their applications pretty much irrespective of what language you're um you're implementing in right everything's got um got an interface to see yeah exactly and um other things that i wanted to understand was particularly this concept of runtime or platform snaps yeah and you can see that was the first session on day one so (laughs) after one hour it was like oh right that's how we're doing it fine so then the rest of the week was was starting on some of that work Hmm. And can you help me understand a little bit of the uh, the security paradigm around Snap packages? So uh, they have to be granted access to things on the file system. Um, and it looks like from the docs that I was reading from the elementary team, when they're looking at how to integrate Snaps with elementary OS, is there could be certain – some of their programs that they make in-house for their desktop might need – special access in ways that maybe snaps don't facilitate now I, I i only i only briefly skim the documentation but it sounds like there's limited ways uh, uh, snap software can access the system currently and some of those might be limiting am i, am I tracking it all yeah so um they're called interfaces so when you use snapcraft to create your package you um tell your software what interfaces it can connect to so one example is uh, the home interface which exposes some of your home directory and i'll uh, maybe we'll talk about what that means in some expe- some respects and that interface is auto connected so what that means okay. is when you install a snap package that uses the home interface it automatically connects that up and that snap has access to those areas of your home directory that are available to snap packages. There are other interfaces that do not auto-connect. So you can install the snap package, you can look at the um, status of the snap package and see that it is requesting that it has this facility and it's down to you to actually establish that connection manually. That's how it is right now. There are there are quite a lot of interfaces, and that's where a lot of the focus has been. If you look at the change logs on SnapD and SnapGraft, it's really been about interfaces, and, and they're being added at um, a lightning rate and will continue to be added to support the various use cases. But the end goal is to have mediation. So if you've used Ubuntu um, for devices on a phone or a tablet, when that has permissions that it requires it actually tells you, oh, uh, this application wants to connect to your camera. Do you want to allow that? And you say yes or no. There's an interface that, to facilitate that question? Uh, not at the moment, but that's what's going to come. Mm. So uh, so you will tell your Snap what it can request, and then it's down to the user whether or not. I, I don't know if there's an override because 
for example, some things you just absolutely have to be able to tell your snap it can have this thing, mm-hmm. otherwise it won't work at all. So I'm not, uh, you know, I didn't see, I didn't sit in on all of these sessions, so I don't know all of the nuances. But the idea is, is that that there will be prompts to actually guide the user that the snap is requesting this thing. Do you want to approve it? So hardware aside, it sounds like it has, it automatically has connection to your home directory, like any user space application might. So yes and no. Okay. So okay. It, um, when you install a snap that has access to the home interface, it actually has access to a directory uh, which is slash snap slash the name of the snap slash the revision of that snap. Hmm. And that's where the uh, the data and the dot files and things like that. So that's the equivalent of dollar home as far as that snap package is concerned. Um, but it can actually see all of the other directories in your home directory with the exception of any dot directories or dot files. So snaps can't see any dot files or dot directories except for those that exist within their own data directory. Okay. So that okay, that actually answers most of the questions I had around the security of it. And I you know I'm sure I'll play with it more as it as it comes along. Um, so I don't. I just any other any other thoughts you want to share about the trip or uh, about um, the event itself. It seems like one of the things that I always experience when I go to something like this is the unexpected collaboration that happens, sort of in the hallways, um, getting to meet people like you mentioned earlier and pay, paying off beer debts. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just kind of just kind of picking your brain as far as any other experiences you want to share on the trip and sort of any elements about that about rubbing shoulders anybody you got to meet or anything you want to share in that regard. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the social track is just as important as the getting stuff done track during the Legit. day. Legit, it is, it is. Totally. It, re- it really was. And um, so uh, a group of people that I got to meet and spent the week with, most of the week, actually, because we were in the same room a lot of the time, was uh, three of the guys from elementary. So Daniel Foray, uh, Cody Garver, and Cortan, sorry, I've forgotten your surname. Uh, so those three guys from elementary were there. Uh, all week and um yeah daniel and i exchanged some notes on you know stuff he's doing on uh with elementary and loki coming up and uh i had a look through what they've been working on and i showed him some of the new stuff i've been working on <laughs> so uh here's a little tip for you chris you were um talking about the nice high dpi support in linux mint 18 uh you really want to have a look at uh loki Oh, okay. Because um, their high DPI support actually knows that it's on a high DPI uh, capable machine. That was my complaint. Automatic. Yeah. yeah um, I will definitely check that and, out. And although Daniel showed me the bits where it needs, um, you know, there's a few icons that aren't scaled correctly in spots yet, but by and large it's there and it's looking very polished and very complete now. Mm. So. Uh, and because all of their applications are all, you know, use that same design language and they've been through the process of making sure that, you know, it's all high DPI, their out-of-the-box default applications that are all high DPI and it looks looks the business. You know, I completely agree with uh, REI code in the uh, REI code in the chat room. Elementary OS with those potential nice touches to detail combined with snapped applications could make Elementary OS a much more viable platform for me. So I'm going to be really interested to try that out. 
Uh, good for them. So, so three different reps. Uh, I'm sure you probably just, I'm sure you're probably just too busy to talk to Clem. I'm sure he was there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it seems like there was an intention to reach out to like OpenWRT as That's well. That's really interesting. Yeah. I yeah. Thought, I think that was yeah. cool. So, so I think that, I think it's fair to say that you know I've talked about the content interface sharing, and you're asking for a theme. Definitely. On Wednesday Wednesday night, there was a, a a meal. Everyone that was there was in the big room together. We had this um, fantastic um, outdoor barbecue, and then uh, did lightning talks. And most of the people doing lightning talks were from the community contributors that had been invited. Mm. And it, it was very clear that 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 community participation and involvement um, was important to developing snaps and making snaps work for everyone so you know it was it was very much a um bring this to the wider ecosystem don't just focus on ubuntu it was uh, it was clearly a strong message that came through this last week that's really that's great. great um wimpy, th- wimpy thank you for uh, for sharing your trip with us, uh, it sounds like the exact kind of event that needed to happen. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like a lot of great people were invited and it wasn't just a big Ubuntu echo chamber, which is brilliant. And I think one of the metrics that I use to measure that is reading the blogs of people from Arch and Fedora who came back and said, this is really something. Yeah, yeah. And that's pretty cool. And it's exciting to see that kind of on the verge. And from an end user's perspective, uh, you know, eventually this is going to work our way into our, our into right. our desktops. And when and, people are, when developers and others and packagers are excited to use something yes. and get software to us, yeah. like, that's awesome. I know. It, and it, it's going to give it a, a clear path mm-hmm. for people who want to bring software over to Linux, which is yeah. really have something to tell thing. Mike finally. Yeah, I will. Yeah. And so on, on that point, one of the last things that was discussed on the last day was talking about proprietary software. And, and the actual discussion oh, okay. was, if I've made a snap for a thing I can't redistribute, what do I do about it? But then the conversation evolved into, there are these companies that are basically dodging packaging their software in the appropriate way for the various Linux distributions because it's hard and there's too many things to target. So you get these .run files or you get a deb file for one architecture that maybe only works for one particular version of Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. And there was this whole discussion about how we could potentially create snaps for those proprietary applications and then send them to those organizations and say, you could do it this way. Yeah, really. Um, and, you know, that seems like that it's too hard excuse with things like the shared platforms and Snapcraft going cross distribution um, is going to be a weaker and weaker argument. And then on the end user side, GNOME Software version 3.21.4 will have support for installations of Flatpak repository files in the Flatpak repo format and installation of uh, Snaps. And uh, yeah, and this is going to this is just going to make the end user perspective, at least on the GNOME desktop, and anybody using GNOME software. Uh, This is going to make this really straightforward. Also, which is kind of neat and now a relevant thing. Sandboxing information will be shown for the certain apps along with the origin information when the apps are available from more than one source in GNOME software. Which is, I mean, I can't wait to see that. I cannot, I'm getting really excited about the direction this is going. And uh, I don't even, I don't even, I'm still like, I'm still happy if we end up with flat packs and snaps. Like, I'm not necessarily pulling for one, but I think it's really brilliant where, what Canonical has been doing with uh, snaps. And I think it's really great that the momentum they're building behind it is likely to lead to success. It feels like they're really on a good trajectory right now. 
So that makes me excited. We're going to check. Thank you, Wimpy. Thank you very much. That was uh, that was a great. That was that was actually you painted a great picture. I know. I'm. I'm it's excited. almost like we were there. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. We are going to find out if Wes was successful in the Starbound Server Challenge, uh, which he was just. I like that you were down for it because I didn't warn you at all that I was just going to nope. be throwing this at nope. you. Not at all. Um, and you know, before we reveal if Wes was successful and get to our next topic, this would be a great spot to mention Linux Academy, where you could go to get the mad skills to learn how to set up a server when uh, you are thrust into a situation <laughs> to do so. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugs where you go to support this show. Linux, Azure, AWS, OpenStack, DevOps, they have great courseware on all of it. Linux Academy is constantly improving their courseware, the existing library, library, and all the new stuff super fast. They have a great staff now working on all of this, a great community full of Jupyter Broadcasting members, and instructor mentoring when you need it. They got on-demand uh, servers that spin up with the courseware that match the distribution you've chosen from. They have availability, availability planners that are just the perfect touch when you're super busy. And last but not least, one of my favorite things about Linux Academy is they put you in a hands-on real-world scenario so you get actual experience, which there's nothing, nothing that gives you more confidence when you go to take the test or when you're just trying to improve your skill set. Check out all the different features. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Also, did you know they have a blog? They uh, have one of their new uh, content creators, Terry Cox, is sharing uh, his experience working at the Linux Academy. Yeah, which is very interesting. And you kind of see some of the passion behind it. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Go there to learn more and to level up your skill set. Linux Academy. Thanks, guys, for sponsoring the Unplugged program. And that's linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Okay. Huh. All right, Wes. Were you or were you not successful in setting up the Starbound server? I believe so. Oh! Yeah! But here's the thing. I've only just got the client installed, and oh. I'm a little confused on how to point it at the dedicated <laughs> server. So There's I, that problem. Do you have it as well? Uh, do I have Starbound installed? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think so. I think I have it on this machine. Yes, I do. Oh, so there's a – oh, I see. I see there's a separate server that got installed when I downloaded this from uh, Good Old Games. Uh, let's see here, Wes. Checking in now. Well, do I just join a game? Maybe. I, you know, I well, I was trying to start one as well. So I have a character. It's, oh yeah, it's got a server address. So you have to create a character first. Okay, I see. I so see. maybe what you need to do, yeah, so create a character. Um, hmm. Because we now do we, do we want to give out that address? Because once we give it out, people are going to be playing on it. That's fine. You think? I mean, we can always tear it down when we and move it. Yeah. Okay. So chat room, if you want to test it, I'm going to give out the server info, Wes. <laughs> okay. So how do I? Where do I? Where'd you get that server info? Well, uh, so I already have a character, so yeah, I don't know if okay, mine's a little different. I okay, made so a I went to join game at the front at the front page. Okay, and then I checked uh, Starkbolt or Starbolt or Starkbolt, whatever it is, and then it just brings up the server info after I select my character. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, all right, so the server is starbound.noblepain.com, and it's port two one zero two five. I'm going to paste that in the chat room too. Uh, Noblepain. Oh, you have to have accounts? I don't know. How does that work? Oh, well, we'll have the chat room tested for us. So I'll put, I'll drop it in there because I want to play with some folks. I think that'd be I a do lot. too. What? Yeah, yeah, I, I know. I mean, it's, the binary is totally running. Um, okay, so good job, Wes. I mean, if you got the binary running, you're probably pretty yeah. close. So nicely done, sir. Well done under pressure, too. I think that's pretty great. All right, I'm pasting it now in the chat room. So I had a topic while people are trying that out. 
that I wanted to throw at you guys. Um, I'm, I'm so excited. I just want to play the game now. Uh, I was noticing that the uh, EU is going to be auditing a couple of open source projects that some of us may be familiar with. Uh, the uh, KeyPass project is one of them, and I think also uh, I think also the Apache web server is going to yeah. be audited, and uh, WinSCP is being audited, and I think I think VLC. I mean, there's several there's several other projects that are getting audited in all of this. Uh, here's the background: the European Union just announced that it will give the source code of the password manager KeyPass and the Apache web server a security audit. The idea is to audit the open source code, and it started around December of 2014 when two members of the European Parliament suggest an audit for free software used by EU institutions. All right. That seems like, you know, anytime we want to audit something we rely on, I'm all, I'm all aboard that train. Put me on there and uh, take me to audit town. So I started thinking, what if the EU came to us, Linux Unplugged show, said, <clears throat> okay, guys, sat down with us. And uh, it, it said to us, Oh my gosh, it's Andrew Fisher. What? No, no, it said to us, uh, We're going to give you a uh, million dollars and you can spend this on auditing an open source project or two of your choice. So we have a limited budget to work with and we have to be responsible in how we spend it. How and what projects, I guess is the better question, which projects would we choose? How would we spend it? And I wanted to kick it off. So I was kicking this around. Oh, WW? All right. WW. I'll, I'll answer my... I'll, I'll go last. WW, what was your idea? How would you audit? What, what would you audit? How would you spend the money? I would spend the money to audit SE Linux. Oh. Much. To see if the NSA put a back door in there or something? Well, there's, there's that <laughs> concern. But, but if, if you're a security distro, you need to be audited. You need to be known, is this secure or not? And then maybe... Um, you know, publish that information or use part of the money to to audit it and make sure it's done right and thorough and just and then just publish the information. This is what we found or we didn't find, you know, so this can be trusted for now because it could always something can always change. So yeah, I was trying to think too. Would would I want to when I want to audit something like Telegram or something like Firefox? And I don't think so. I think I'd want to go myself. I'd want to go more infrastructure. I think if I was going to pick a project, it would be something that I rely on and think of as secure. Something like OpenVPN ah, or OpenSSH. Right? I would love to get a real good. So although OpenSSH has a lot of eyes on it, and maybe OpenVPN does too. But the other thing that would sort of crop up on my radar. And I don't know how feasible this would be, and it's not like it hasn't. It's not getting looked at all the time. But I, I am just not a hundred percent solid on Tor, and there've been a lot of changes. There's been in the, a lot of news recently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of attacks against Tor. There's been a lot of changes in the board. Uh, just like TrueCrypt, I would love to have more eyes on Tor. Yes. From a, from a third party auditing. And a lot of the WireGuard. Yeah, oh, WireGuard. Totally. Cool. That would be good to get. Yeah, just wi- done right away. Yeah, yeah. WireGuard and Tink too. Really. That would be good. Oh yeah. Um, it's such great performance, though. It's awesome. Oh, Wimpy, you have a great one. Which one? Gnu G. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That's one we all rely upon. We, we've been we've been told by folks like Snowden that it's solid, but I mean, who no really knows? You I, not to be paranoid, but there are. If you listen to TechSnap, I mean, it's we talk about it quite a bit. There are entire industries now around finding these problems and selling them, and they have they have like Silk Road type markets. Where vulnerabilities go for certain prices in Bitcoin and whatnot. In Bitcoin and whatnot. It really well, yeah. 
it really is uh, it really is a growing market where people are finding these things and holding on to it and and then there's people out there that know about vulnerabilities and then sell them and so it these kinds of things i don 't know they just freak me out it doesn 't have to be an NSA conspiracy theory where the NSA is hacking you. It could just literally be some jerk hacker who figured but something that's out like, uh, and like you know yeah, and like part of the benefit of it being open and you know it's it's kind of everyone, and so like if we can all take responsibility, get things audited and have a really solid base to build from do you think it's worth auditing like desktop environments? Like the GNOME desktop or Plasma desktop, you think it's worth that, or is it just really I could see rely it on maybe the tools for the underneath? enterprise case? Yeah, know? and but you'd have to be careful about versions, right? And you have to pick like a fixed point, and yeah, yeah. And then uh, somebody in the chat room suggested Snaps <laughs> and SnapD. <laughs> it's probably not bad, uh, and maybe App Armor too. Yeah, good one, Rikai. Yeah, App Armor is not bad. Anybody else in the mum room have any suggestions before we wrap up? Yeah, App Armor. If we're going to be relying on more and more here, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, X11. Well, I think that'd be depressing. Wayland yeah, wouldn't Wayland. be bad. Mm-hmm. Way- Wayland, Mir- yeah, that wouldn't be bad. Yeah, I'd say go for the infrastructure stuff, and Wayland would. Uh, no, not JB titles. Don't look there. Don't look there. It makes JBot uh, grumpy. Continuing the audit of Let's Encrypt, I think is happening, or uh, Veracrypt. Yeah, that's a good one, Wimpy. FreeBSD. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know they what? had to re- they had to remove the Linux subsystem. That was OpenBSD. Yeah. But let's, oh, so yeah. OpenBSD then. Yeah. Okay. Good. Let's do that one. Yeah. They 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 uh, they talk a big game. Let's see how they do. Open SSL. I think that's happening all the time these days. Arch, Arch Linux. I think that's happening. You know, Google has a project called Project Zero, where they're literally going and investigating different projects. Recently, though, they've been really beaten up on antivirus companies. It's been a, it's been really fun to watch. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, if you have any suggestions, I'd like to hear your thoughts. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com or leave a YouTube comment if you're watching on YouTube. What open Please source do. project would you audit? Because I have a sense we're probably forgetting of some because we just kind of uh, came up. It's just on the spot here, but... Yeah. But on the spot, my, my attack would be infrastructure and then go out from there. Wouldn't it be amazing? I honestly, if there was some sort of perpetual crowdfunding platform for security auditing and not i don't think patreon would be it i don't think kickstarter or gofundme or anything like that there's some kind sort of different something different where i could kick into from time to time and say i want to help and then um, do you remember the infrastructure project that the linux foundation mm-hmm. set up if so, if they if they ran something like that if it came from a, if it came from a from a, a a foundation like that or a group of people uh, that were organizing and hiring the right professionals for the right tools and the right jobs and being very transparent about how they spend the money and they report it, man, that'd be such a perfect companion to open source security is to have really? yeah. the Linux Foundation or somebody like that organize something like that. And I would love to contribute to something like that. I wouldn't be able to contribute a lot, but I absolutely would love to. Um, yeah. I don't know. If you guys have ideas, let us know. You can also go to the contact page mm-hmm. at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. That's where we get that business done. At. That's our official contact page. Although really, to be honest with you, for this show, I, it is more of a community experience. Well, that's kind of where the subreddit comes in probably a little more. And also we have the mumble room. And the IRC. Yep, Don't yep. forget them. No, I can't. I'm looking at them right now. Yeah, we always stare right at their faces. You can find out when we do all those things at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash counter. It'll convert that live time to your local time zone. Then you go to jblive.tv. You plug that into your machine of choice and join the IRC. And then from there, bang, mumble. You get our mumble secrets. You hang out in our community, our virtual lugs, always willing and accepting. As long as your microphone works and you don't got echo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Knock that off. Knock it off! Knock it off! Linux at reddit.com is where you go to leave feedback and topic ideas. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Unplugged program. We'll see you right back here next week! 
You did it, Wes. Woo. You did it. I'm impressed. Hello, everybody. Uh, I didn't know if you'd be able to get it going. Now, do we have anybody connected, though? Yeah. I mean, I see Rikai right here. He's on there? Hi, are you Rikai. in the game? Are you, are yeah. you in oh, the yeah, game? Oh, right. yeah. I'm in the game. Where oh. are you, Chris? That's the question. Well, I was Where doing, are you? I was doing the show, show thing, but or yeah, something? now that the uh-huh. show's done, Starbound. No, no thank uh, you for doing the show. Uh, no. I like your. I like that you got your name. I, well, you got your online name. I should do. I that. have West Payne too. I, I wonder if I could get my name. Uh, do do do. Oh, do oh. Let's just say I have a little too many variants of my so, own. So name. do I have it? Do I just put anything in there for the server account? Just leave it blank. Oh man, I, I was supposed to put the port in the actual. They have a specified port box. I didn't see that because I was just putting it in there. Yeah. JBTitles.com. JBTitles.com. Okay. If you guys want to, you, if you don't want to buy this on Steam, too, you can get it on Good Old Games. Uh, which is pretty cool. I would love to mess around with this. All right, so uh, assets mismatch between client and server, and the other override option is not set. Oh, what? I thought I did. What does that mean? What does that even mean? Is that because I don't have the Steam version? Oh, is yours uh, allow? Can you edit your character? How do I do that? I think there was like an allow mismatch. Oh, but maybe that was the start game option. Uh, yeah, because that just puts me back in my world. This is no good, Wes. This is no good. Well, okay, jebbytitles.com. I... Boy, I'm starting to. It's getting hot. Do you need hot, to man. update it? Is that why the assets are mismatched? How do you update it when well, you get it from? Steam. It just, oh, you have oh, right, good old you games. Can, I could just go re-download it, I guess. But that feels pretty old. They need to snap this up. That's what they snap, need to snap, do. Snap it up. Uh, okay, guys. Well, I want to say thank you to everybody for making it. I really appreciate it. That was really fun, Wimpy, to pick your brain. All that stuff. I find it fascinating, and uh, it's good to hear a story, you know, from somebody who was there. So that way, it's not just our speculation. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me on. Wimpy gets snappy. That's that's the top title right now. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, man. Okay, I have a question for you guys. I uh, I would really like to consult with some folks that have some multi-month-long experience with SyncThing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. What are some of the key tricks to getting like your discovery between SyncThing nodes or whatever it's called working and... What are key things to know if, you, if you're frequently reloading machines or setting up new machines? And also, if you want to have a pretty sophisticated sync setup, like I want to sync a lot of things between some machines, but, a couple of, but, but some of those same machines I want to sync with other computers, only a couple of things, like, so complicated setups like that. What are like tips to make? Because I feel like here's, every, here's my problem, and I, I don't even know where I've gone wrong because it's been about six months or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I set up a sync thing instance. I get two or three systems going. Usually it's this machine here in studio, my machine up in my office and a digital ocean droplet. And I get those three things working. And then at some point I reload one of them and I can never get that third, that reloaded machine to rejoin up or something. Like sometimes it can see them, but they can't see it. Um, we have fully working, totally fine DNS here in the studio. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't really understand what keeps going wrong. And so because because I'm always doing it when I'm super busy and trying to solve a problem and just get something working, I never really spend a lot of time trying to really figure out what I've gone what I've done wrong. And it just it makes me, Is there really that much of a difference between the sixty four bit version and the uh thirty two bit? Oh, file wise or something you mean? Like how many files it can do? Um so uh, yeah, okay, I don't know, Arch, that's a good question. Uh, You're asking about a, a array, a storage array, right? Well, no. Now I'm just asking about sync thing best practices in general to keep a good sync thing, like to keep something that's sustainable for me using sync thing. I want to be able to, I want to be able to have confidence that I can blow machines away and re-add them 
to whatever my what is it called a sing thing sing thing swarm what's that te- I, yeah, what is that called i don't know network sing thing yeah nobody has any advice for me uh, I, I will personally, say personally oh, i've got one running on my phone it syncs all my photos down and anything i do on my phone that i want to you know be saved in my computers and backed up yeah that'd be good that'd be um, a perfect use got, case like and you can Windows box syncing that i've got a linux box syncing that and i've got a server in my data center syncing that and, and so when you want to when you want to add your phone what steps did you follow um, I just opened all the web UIs and all the machines plugged in. Actually, on the phone, I did the QR code thing. So, like, I showed yeah, the QR okay. code from the other machines, snapped the QR code. It got all the information, so I didn't type it all out. So, when you add a new it. computer to an existing sync setup, you go to both computers' administrative interface, and you add each the, the you add each other to it, right? Yes, you have to add each other. Yeah. Because they both have to uh, recognize yeah. the public key. Yeah. Sometimes you can just add it one way, and then the other will start trying to talk to your new node, and it will say, like, do you want to add this guy who's trying right. to talk to yeah, you like the yeah. based on this? <laughs> I have seen that sometimes, yeah. Okay. But I would say, yeah, it does, like... But I would just add them on both. Yeah, add them, easier. especially for the links that you really care about. Okay, okay. Yep. I will also say I've just That's enjoyed... what I've usually done, but sometimes, like, when I add them on each end, like, one of them will connect, but the other one won't or yeah. something. Typically what I do is I have it, they all connect to the server, but none connect to each other in between. How do you define which one's the server? Um, you just don't allow them to discover each other. There's like an option that advertises oh. neighbor nodes yeah. or something. Oh, you just oh. disable that. I try using that thinking maybe it'll help. Okay. No, it might help you. It, it should be fine. But just the way I do it is I have one server that they all connect to and they don't interconnect between each other. Okay. And that seems to work for me. I'm not saying that's the only solution. It just seems to work well because the server has ports open that are guaranteed and the IP address is static. Yeah, I'll say in the, kind of in the same vein. I've enjoyed using it when I with, with Tink for an overlay network, but you could use whatever mm-hmm. overlay network just so mm-hmm. like you don't have to worry about anything. That's, That's what I was so thinking. Was Tink, was Tink would be a good use for that. Or if you have a VPN set up already, that'll add it to your home or the studio network, or you know, just on the same subnet. Well, I feel I, that doesn't really make me feel much better because you guys really haven't given me anything I haven't already done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does sound like maybe doing a little bit more manually, not relying on the. Auto discovery might It'd be, be nice if you could centrally manage the syncing of all those nodes if you have so many. Yeah, that would be Just nice. Having to set them up on each node is really frustrating and time-consuming and tedious. Yeah, yeah I, I think really, that's the one thing it really right now needs is a tool to yeah, that does burn centrally make thing. all your configs. Yeah. yeah, that does burn me. Okay, so Ben, ben Fitzpatrick is in the uh, mumble room. Ben was our uh, feedback question, who was also our aborted runs Linux for the Linux Action Show this Sunday. Yeah, what's, the, what's the update there, Ben? Well, um, last night my friend Jamie came by and uh, we I did manage to get um, Arch running on my uh, Pro Book that I was showing you guys. Oh. And I tell you, um, what the problem was was I uh, <laughs> believe it or not had a triple boot setup going on, and what happened was I had forgotten to write Grub into the uh, EFI boot, so I was like, oh my god. So Been that there was the whole problem the whole time was Grub was not writing to the EFI partition properly. Yeah. So um, I found the command on the Arch Wiki, and then bang, it just started booting after I ran it from the uh, from the EFI boot menu, and then voila, I was in, and I got XFCE loading, awesome, everything, and it's all sorted. So yeah, and then my friend Jamie came by and fixed uh, awesome up for me, and everything's all good. So. Yeah, and it looks really killer. And uh, hey, congrats, man! That's awesome. So, did you go straight up Arch, or did you go with an Arch derivative, or what was your approach it there? It was uh, normal Arch via Architect, and I got to tell you, 
okay. even though Architect is not being maintained anymore, yeah. it still works. And uh, I tell you, it's it's really very simple. Even if you're a new user and you haven't used Arch before, it really simplifies things down to the minimum. And <laughs> I've done stock Arch before, and Architect makes it a walk in the freaking park. So Cool. That's really, a way to stick uh, with it, man. Good for you. I plan to, and I tell you. This thing really saved my neck. Are you enjoying any of the process? I mean, I know there's like ups and downs with it, but have you found it just like intellectually enjoyable? Yes, and I tell you, I've actually wiped my Windows boot, my Mac <laughs> boot, everything. Hey, and <laughs> that is great. You, I'm actually considering dumping uh, OS X on my MacBook even and throwing Arch on that. Highly recommended. Well, I don't know about on the MacBook, but go give it a go and let yes, it report I'm back and gonna, let us know how it goes. I will. Thank you. Oh, man. So, okay, this made my heart sink. I just saw this go by the chat room. Wimpy says that he abandoned his sync thing setup. Uh-huh. Uh, well, okay, Wimpy, I feel like this is going to be... Story time? I feel like this is going to be what convinces me not to use sync thing, because I think Wimpy and I have seen eye to eye on this stuff before. So do you want to tell us what happened? You know all those things you just explained you were trying to get fixed? Yeah. I couldn't fix it. <laughs> so it, it it runs along just fine until you need to change something, right? Is that what kind of your... Yeah, the, the problem I had is that um, even though there are mechanisms to support key exchange with multiple devices, mm-hmm. that just wasn't happening seamlessly. And for the number of machines I have, that was a real showstopper. So I did things to tweak the speed at which it would pick up changes. But... Um, yeah, it just it just wasn't working for me, and I was bored with keep on trying to poke it and make it go. So I just gave up. Are you using something else yeah, in place, or? Uh, well, not really. I mean, I had this one use case left, which was um, my dot. I've talked in the past about roaming profiles and mm. how I was using that just to keep all of those dot files and everything that was in my profile synced across all of the machines, which is why. I use it on so many machines because I, I was using it on all the servers that I use, you know, my own personal servers and my workstations and laptops and what have you. So I've, um, I use the same tool to manage the dot file sim linking, which is a tool called MacUp. But now I've just got it hooked into a Git backend because I can't be doing with sync thing messing me about. You know, it, it almost makes me want to throw Nextcloud on something with just oh. a ton of disk because really where, yeah. where my own cloud sync issues have gone wrong is when own cloud has tried to do something clever like keep a duplicate copy so I could undelete and then runs out of storage because the undelete bin takes up all my yeah. free space. Um, and when I'm working with unfiltered clips and it's, you know, multi gigs per episode, that happens within a couple of months, even with tons and tons of storage. But if I really, you know, if I had a, t- a lot of storage sitting behind it, what I really like about the NextCloud syncing paradigm is it very is very close to the Dropbox one where I install a client, I log in to the client. Now, in the case of NextCloud, I point it to my server. I don't have to do that with Dropbox, but I log in. And it begins syncing, and it begins just participating in the sync swarm without having to discover servers, without having to exchange keys. And the thing is, I mean, that's pretty nice for me because any given week I've reloaded a machine for a show, and I have to sync several hundred assets to that machine. And so yeah. I'm, that's just a, I'm not always in the same place when I'm setting them up. It'd be, yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe NextCloud will solve this for me. But in the meantime... Um, <clears throat> Dropbox, Dropbox Enterprise is like super crazy expensive. So I just, I'm ready to just dump it as soon as yeah, possible. Right. But 
And it'd be, yeah. it'd be a source so case of open source if you could. Yeah, yeah. The last time I used own cloud was own cloud eight mm-hmm. and i'm gonna have a go with next cloud um and the other, the other one that i had some good success with um was c file um but, which is what next cloud is using isn't it under or is it c sync i think so, no yeah that c sync c file is right s s e a file yes right and the only thing that puts me off that is um I really don't want to be adminning loads of servers in my spare time because that's I think what we I do all at work. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. Last week. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>